Oh, yep. Pastor, thank you for having us come and present. And church, thank you as well for having us. As he mentioned, I'm Colton, and I'm joined by my lovely wife, Melody. Uh, she's actually on her way up to uh, give a special before the presentation. That was a hint. There we go. <laughs> uh, we are also blessed to have a little two-year-old. Uh, his name is Douglas. And then we also have the newborn that's a two-week-old, and that's George. And we are uh, very grateful for that. Of course, as Pastor mentioned, God's called us to the Solomon Islands. And, and I'll mention in the display where that is, first of all, uh, but then also how, how God led us to that, because that, you know, that would be maybe a seemingly random location in the world, and how God uh, answered some prayer and directed in that, in that specific direction. But before I present that, as well as share a message tonight, uh, my lovely wife is going to sing a song entitled, uh, Sinner Like Me, and as she sings a song, you'll notice that it goes through the progression uh, from someone who is lost and hopeless without Christ Uh, to the loving, wooing grace of our God, uh, calling a sinner from the darkness into the light and then uh, gloriously rescuing that sinner once faith and repentance takes place. And and you'll hear that in the song, and I hope you'll uh, be recalled uh, to the time that God saved you and, and rescued you from your sins. So Melody, if you come and sing, and then I'll come and present. Once far away from thy Savior, as vile as a sinner would be, and I wondered if Christ the
Mark chapter 16 in your Bibles. Text that we will be looking at for the message tonight, but I want to draw your attention to the text that God used in a pretty profound way in my heart and my wife's heart to direct us uh, towards missions and uh, the particular ministry that God has called us to. And if you're anything like me, uh, when anything missions related goes on, someone says, turn to Mark chapter 16, there's likely a verse in your mind that you may be uh, directed towards, uh, but we're actually going to look at a couple verses further down. I'm referring to verse 15. Also, let me add as I get into it, Friday I had eye surgery, uh, a for, it, similar to like LASIK eye surgery, except uh, it takes a little bit longer for the recovery, so I see no facial reactions or anything, so anyhow, it, it's a little bit of a, a fuzz and a blur, so if I you know, like do this with my Bible trying to read something, just there's an explanation for that, anyhow, uh, or if I have to pa- uh, wipe my eyes or something, I'm uh, not a particularly emotional person, at least too too much so, but that is just an explanation for that. Anyhow, uh, Mark chapter 16, if you would, uh, you're familiar, as you ought to be, with verse 15, which is how God saw fit to record uh, the great com- commission in the gospel of Mark, and verse 15 reads, and he said unto them, go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. I would imagine all of us probably have that verse memorized uh, for good reason. Uh, But I want to draw your attention a little bit further down to verses 19 and 20. Verse 19 says, So then after the Lord had spoken unto them, he, Jesus, he was received up into heaven and sat on the right hand of God. Now notice verse 20. And they, now who are the they? Just pause. The ones that at least heard him say, go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. What do they do? Verse 20, and they went forth and preached everywhere, the Lord working with them and confirming the word with signs following, amen, and so concludes the gospel of Mark. And I find it so uh, maybe simplistic but profound in its simplicity that God saw fit to conclude the gospel of Mark with just the simple act of obedience of his followers. That he told them to go in verse 15, and then in verse 20, it's, it, it is said of them that they went forth and they preached the gospel everywhere. And, and sometimes it's the simplest verses that just grab hold of our heart the, uh, with, with the firmest of grips. And verse 20 certainly did that for me. And so uh, that's kind of been our, our verse that we've turned back to of, of why would we do what we do? Or what would be our, our, our motivation for moving forward uh, in this evangelistic and missions capacity? Uh, we come back to that verse where the ones that followed Christ, that were closest to Christ... Uh, Upon his ascension, the scripture records their simple obedience. And by God's grace, uh, we would like that to be the testimony of our family. So uh, as well as uh, turning to that verse being our our, uh, driving force for, I guess maybe you could say a proof text for ministry of sorts. Uh, You don't have to name your ministry for it to be particularly biblical, uh, but we saw fit to. Let's see, is the clicker working? Yeah. So we call our ministry project everywhere. And the specific part of everywhere that God has led us to uh, is the Solomon Islands. Here I go, you know, let me move to the side here. That'll be more effective, so I'm not, like, doing that the whole time. Anyhow, uh, and, and how we got to the Solomon Islands, you know, initially, uh, even before I met my wife, uh, the doors that it seemed like God was opening up uh, was a little bit uh, more of like a, a type of helps ministry. And what I mean by that is, uh, without me trying to force my way into a particular ministry, uh, it just seemed like God was opening up uh, doors a little bit all around the world. And so uh, there would just be people or missionaries around the world that for, for whatever reason needed someone to kind of replace them for a month or a couple months and this happened about a half dozen times without me really trying to get into that type of ministry and and so uh there is a time where I thought well maybe that's a direction that seems like God is just opening up towards but one of those trips uh or, by the way those trips took us to or took me rather to India Madagascar the Solomon Islands Yap and, and a number of other places around the world. And uh, one of those trips was to the Solomon Islands for a, a little over a month. And there was just a, a medical situation that arose uh, with a missionary on the main island of Guadalcanal. And uh, I'm sure he asked maybe 10 other people, but all of them said no. And so I was his last choice. And so he was stuck with me. And I got a, a text message from a mission board director uh, that is now our mission board worldwide, a New Testament Baptist mission. And he said, hey, could you be in the Solomons in like two weeks for like a month and a half. And I was like, well, sure, you know, absolutely. Yeah, that sounds great. So uh, sure enough, you know, packed my bags and, and went over there. And, and it was a little bit of, because of the emergency situation, uh, it was a little bit of uh, 
you know, hey, thanks for showing up so last minute, me and the, the other missionary there. Uh, here's the keys to the, my vehicle. Here's the keys to the house. Uh, here's an islander that speaks okay English. Really appreciate your help. Uh, here's the market to buy food. Only buy meat from this vendor. Um, only drink water here. Thanks. Bye. And that was, that was kind of what it was like. So uh, it was a little bit trial by fire, but God really used that in a wonderful way. And, and so the language there they speak is called pidgin, and there's a lot of pidgin languages around the world. And so their particular form of pidgin is heavily influenced by English. So that was very helpful to kind of ease into. So about after that month-long time, I was at least conversational in their language. Uh, but I remember upon leaving for that trip, that wasn't a survey trip or anything like that. Uh, I just remember a simple prayer as I was you know, about to depart uh, the plane after a month and a half or so, or about a month or so. Uh, it just really wasn't a uber spiritual experience, if I could put it that way. It was just a simple prayer of, Lord, if in the future... Uh, you would lead me and whoever I'll marry uh, to do a ministry or be a part of a ministry here in the Solomons, you know, our answer would be yes. And it it really wasn't like a prayer of like, oh, I'm going to the Solomons now. It was just a prayer of, Lord, if this is where you want us, we're here. You know, just there's willingness. And and then, you know, I I didn't think about that prayer for about a year year after that. Uh, During that that year, I... uh, Finally persuaded my lovely wife to, to marry me, and uh, which of course I'm, I'm grateful for. Uh, but as uh, we were in a ministry in Massachusetts, a, a camp ministry, and and as well as uh, an evangelistic type ministry to that capacity, and we were just praying, Lord, if you want us to plant roots here, uh, we'll be all about that. But we just want your leadership in that. And we had a, a good sending church across the border into New Hampshire, and uh, God put that prayer that I made about a year or so prior on my heart, and I really couldn't get away from it, so I told my wife, and I said, hey, about a year or so prior, you know, when I was in the Solomons, uh, I just said, Lord, you know, we're willing, and so us, we as a couple, we, we just surrendered to it, not really knowing the next step forward, but just saying, Lord, you know, we're, we're open to that too, if that's what you want, and so uh, we felt more impressed that that was the direction God was leading, so we took it to our, our home church at the time, and uh, presented it to our pastor and our church, and and then uh, after a couple weeks of them praying over it and, and considering, is this the Lord's will, they, they became our sending church uh, for ministering to the, to the Solomon Islands and, and to a church uh, planting capacity. And, and I'll men- mention more about some specifics to that. But that's kind of a little bit how God led that way. Uh, I had a friend there that, you know, I took a trip there and, and God really worked that out. You might ask yourself, where in the world is the Solomon Islands? Well, hopefully by the big red arrow, that might help a little bit. It's northeast of Australia in the southwest Pacific. And so if you go Australia, you know, Papua New Guinea, and then go east, you know, it's around there. Or maybe going uh, from west, or going westward, you, know, you have Hawaii, uh, and then you drop real far south and real far west. It's kind of in that area. It's on the western side of Oceania. And if none of that helps, just nod and smile. And say, oh yeah, Solomon Islands, of course. So Guadalcanal is the main island in the Solomons. So usually people have a little bit of a connection with Guadalcanal because of the World War II history there. And there is just the Pacific is chock full of that in that region. But anyhow, here's, anyhow, here's a more specific map of the Solomons. And, and you might conclude from looking at a map like this that the Solomon Islands has about 30 or 40 or 50 islands. But uh, there's just under 1,000 islands in the Solomon Islands. And uh, it is named after the, the biblical Solomon, uh, the way, I don't know if you want to call it legend or uh, suspicion or, or how it's suspected that it got that name was uh, Spanish explorers when they saw the island. Uh, this is from like a history book in Wikipedia, so you know, don't quote me, quote me too much on it. But anyhow, uh, allegedly, the Spanish explorers, when they saw the island, there was a, a glimmer or a sparkle, and uh, they thought, ah, this must be where King Solomon found all the gold to build his temple. And so, sure enough, the name stuck. Uh, but that is, that is, it is after King Solomon in the Bible. Uh, the, spe- the particular island that we're going to be working to plant a church on is right here. Hopefully that green dot can help you out a little bit. Is uh, a shade of green, the island, you know, but they're all green. You know how maps work. It, anyhow, okay. Uh, so this, uh, okay. uh, this island right here is called Maleta. And so uh, northwest of Maleta, the capital city there is called Alki. And so we intend on, on trying to get a church plant going in Alki. Uh, as far as some specifics of how we go about that, I mentioned a little bit of our call to the Solomons, uh, a little bit of our plan to reach the Solomon Islands, and we'll lead specifically into our ministry on Maleta uh, and in Alki and in this portion. Uh, so initially, uh, say we say we're at we're at ninety three percent right now as far as support goes, but say we touch Solomon Island dirt tomorrow, we are there. How like how does that 
work as far as next steps for uh, a church planning, you know, missionary or, or ministry like that? How exactly, or what does that look like, rather? And so this is just a little bit of a breakdown of what we intend to do. So initially, uh, we're going to move to Guadalcanal for about three months. And, and during that three months, we're able to take the, the boat that goes twice a week uh, to uh, to Maleta. And so that will allow us to figure out, like, where will we live? Where will we buy food? Uh, how will we get transportation? And just some basic logistics that it's kind of it's kind of difficult to figure out, even with the access of internet and whatnot uh, here in the States. There's just there's a level of remoteness to Maleta uh, that doesn't allow us to be able to get all those things worked out and planned out. So we're going to have to be able to do that in person. And so uh, there's a missionary on Guadalcanal that we're friends with, and uh, they have a, a church plant there in, um, in Haniara. And so they've agreed to help us, out, help us find initial housing. Like, you know, we get off the plane, hey, you know, we, we're helping you out to figure out housing, like, you know, tonight and then help you for the, the couple months after that as we make those trips over and figure out housing on Maleta. So that's going to be the initial step. And that's gonna, the reason that's going to look like three months is because when we do actually go to Maleta, uh, we want to be able to begin a church plant right away. And there's just uh, some logistical aspects that we're, there's a lot of unknowns, I'll rather put it that way, uh, as far as figuring out some of the details of that. But then we'll go from Guadalcanal to Maleta. So let me point that out on the map here just to you maybe add some sense to what I'm saying. So this island right here is Guadalcanal. Uh, the words over top of that say Haniara. That's the capital city. And then if you just go up into the north, a little bit to the east, uh, that's Maleta. So that's kind of the, the travel right there. And I mentioned that there's a, a boat that goes twice a week, back and forth, and that's the main, uh, that's the main way you get between the islands. And so that boat ride is about uh, six hours. Uh, so that'll be a, a fun little trip. All right. My blindness is showing. Okay, there we go. Anyhow, once we get to uh, Maleta, we intend on spending about five days out of the week out and about soul winning, passing out gospel literature, gospel tracts, New Testaments, John and Romans, with the express goal, and this is going to be really important for us, with the express goal of trying to get Bible studies in people's villages. And so we, it doesn't fall on us, or uh, rather, uh, it is not um, unknown to us that we are trying to minister to, minister to a people who grew up on a culture, with a culture on the other side of the world, and we want to be very mindful that when we offer and even make a call to decision to put faith on Christ unto salvation, we want to be very careful that they understand what we're asking them, right? We all want to be very careful that they understand what is being offered, and let me add the caveat, you know, God has not made salvation hard. In fact, he's made it incredibly easy, like he has done all the work, uh, for salvation, the only thing we contribute, as one said, uh, is the sin that makes it necessary. So uh, God's done all the work. We're not trying to make salvation hard, but we want to make sure they have understanding. And that is just so important. So we really want to focus on Bible studies in people's villages, in their homes, to be able to answer their questions uh, along with that. Uh, initially, I mentioned that some of that preparation time is so that we can begin a, uh, having Sunday services and that begin that church work plant on Maleta right when we get there. Now, this isn't a huge aspect, but it might kind of even lend some perspective about the, uh, you know, primitive is not a uh, politically correct word pr- uh, currently in reference to the islands, but uh, they would be quite primitive. So in 2019, they just got high-speed internet as we would know it. So to kind of put it in some perspective, and, and that's really just the big provinces. So there's about five big provinces, and out of those uh, under 1,000 under thousand, uh, islands, five of them have the, the high-speed internet that we'd be used to. And as far as population goes, uh, I think the number is 247 uh, of those other islands are, are populated in the Solomons. So just kind of lend some more perspective there. So they laid a cable from Australia to the Solomons to give them high-speed internet, and so we intend to have some means of outreach and accessibility through that. This isn't really even like 5% of our ministry, but we, we feel the need to at least mention that we intend to have accessibility via, via the internet. Uh, probably the biggest thing I'd like to mention as far as uh, a priority to us is that it is our goal and our, uh, you might even say conviction or burden, uh, desire, uh, we find it incredibly important, how, whatever, however you want to preface this uh, to add significance, uh, it is our desire to plant indigenous Baptist churches uh, that will, with the goal of being led and sustained by Solomon Islanders. Uh, all of us would, I mean, collectively rejoice in probably any circumstance when someone genuinely gets born again, right? We would be, we praise the Lord, you know, that, hallelujah, that's great. Um, 
but as far as philosophies, how we go about church planning, especially when we consider uh, an American church having a part in sending an American to a foreign field trying to plant a church that is New Testament and honors God and then is also sustainable after the American that goes there dies, right? So it's very important to us that when we start a church plant uh, that we have the end in mind, meaning uh, we have our removal in mind when we begin. Uh, so what that, some, some real practical aspects of that is we want to work to build a church plant that does not rely on an American being supported by Americans. And so we really want to work to have a church plant uh, that is with the goal of being led by islanders and also sustained by islanders. So let me kind of just uh, give a practical example of that. You know, so some of the questions that we're going to be asking ourselves as we go about day-to-day and like practical expenses in the ministry is, is this something that maybe 50 or 100 islanders who faithfully tithe on what they make, is it even sustainable for them? You know, so if we rent a, uh, say we go to Alki, you know, which is kind of like the, the people center and the, the, the city, most city-like place on Malaita, if we decide to rent a property of sorts, is it possible for islanders to sustain this if God should just, you know, take my life? You know, my, God has every right to, to give and take away life, so, and we're, you know, the, the future is a hard thing to predict, you know that. So if God should remove me or my wife, uh, is the ministry that we've spent years into, is that going to be able to remain and stay? So uh, from the beginning, we want to be working towards uh, having national leadership as well as being able to be financially sustained by leaders, so or by, by nationals, rather. And so it's our desire to, to continue church planning and uh, to work on a church plan in Alki, uh, but then be led by God to, to move to another portion of the Solomons, maybe another portion of Malaita, uh, to work on another church plant. So and Pastor mentioned a little bit of that. I'm in the process now of getting my uh, pilot's license. Uh, really, I just have one more thing. I have my, my check ride. So if you're familiar with that, uh, all my hours are, are done. It's just the check ride that I need. Uh, weather prevented us uh, this last Friday, and because I had eye surgery in the evening, uh, that doesn't look good on like an ATC report. If uh, a pilot was, I don't know, uh, doing odd maneuvers, and then uh, come to find out he had eye surgery couple days before and still flew. So there's going to be a couple weeks until I'm able to schedule the next check ride. And so with, with a combination of that, my wife went to get her, uh, uh, her nursing degree during COVID. Uh, that kind of slowed us down because, you know, churches weren't meeting as much, uh, or at least churches weren't having um, missionaries in maybe, is a, a more appropriate way to say it. And that kind of varies, and I know that's a, a loaded topic. But anyway, uh, it was a weird time for us, for sure. And we are two years. We started, like, January of 2020. Two years in, we were at 15%. And that was not for lack of, you know, dropping in and being in meetings. Uh, but it was kind of a crazy time for traveling from one warm body to another warm body. But during that time, uh, my wife went to get her nursing degree, and she's uh, passed her NCLEX this last January. So uh, there's some preparation beforehand that we're trying to take place so that we can uh, be as most prepared uh, to have access to some of these even more remote islands uh, in the future to be able to work on church plants there as well. Uh, just some information about the Solomons. About 700,000 people spread out over those uh, uh, 347 islands. Uh, so the, the bulk, probably about half of those people, I think it's just under half of those people are on two islands, Guadalcanal and Malaita. So you have a host of small islands that range from several hundred people to several thousand people that get very little, con- if any, contact consistently uh, from... from uh, certainly a, like an evangelical Christian. We're, we're independent Baptists, but I mean, just broadly, someone bringing the gospel. Uh, there's, uh, there's a handful of missionaries that we're familiar with in, in times past that have gone to the Solomons uh, and, and have worked to start ministries there. Uh, as far as like American Baptist missionaries, and certainly we would love for us to be like incorrect on this, uh, but we're familiar with one missionary on Guadalcanal, and then we're familiar with another gentleman based out of Australia that kind of does some evangelism work back and forth. And so uh, there's a great need in the Solomons. You know, if you're right now considering God, where would you have me? Uh, you could go to an island where there's no other gospel preacher on that island in the Solomons, and you could you could be a light, you could be salt for the gospel, you could be uh, the one that's stands before people on an island where there's no one else to stand and declare Christ as the way to salvation. And so there is great opportunity in the Solomon Islands and, and a great dearth 
unfortunately, of gospel labors in the Solomon. So uh, that's initially, we'll be on, on Malaita, uh, but our burden and our heart goes out uh, for some of these more remote islands uh, that have just a couple hundred, couple thousand people where there's not someone on deputation going to, uh, to evangelize or, or, or work to plant a, a gospel preaching church on these small islands. They don't have anyone even intending to go their way. And so our heart goes out for that, and we intend to, uh, to labor there. Uh, but there is certainly a great need uh, for people to, to labor in the Solomons. And, and we, we, yes, we pray for laborers, uh, but we also need volunteers for laborers. So consider what part God would have you in the, the, to play in the Solomons. Uh, the language there is pidgin. People are Melanesian, so uh, if you're familiar with uh, maybe sort of like an Indonesian uh, uh, type of person, it's kind of similar to that. Their language heavily influenced by English. I mentioned that. So if, if maybe your barrier to a foreign field is the language, it's not a good excuse in the Solomons because it might sound confusing at first, but it's heavily influenced by English. So I'll mention a little bit, and you'll, I would imagine, uh, be able to uh, pick out some of this, and I will give an interpretation. So uh, it's not speaking in tongues, it's a known language here, and uh, uh, in light of pastor Sunday school uh, this morning. But, lo nemblomi hem colton, so lo nemblomi hem colton, lo missis blomi hem melody, lo baby blomi hem George, lo stock a big baby blomi hem Douglas, mi falagarum plangolo place for him Solomon Island, and hem preach him lo word blow God, lo people blow Solomon Island. Yeah, <laughs> I, I just, my name's Colton, my wife's Melody, we have George and Doug and the people in the Solomon Islands, they, they need the Son of God to come in their heart and save them completely. And that's what, that's the truth. But there's a lot of English in there. You, you come to the Solomons, and, and after about a month or so, you'll be, you'll be talking uh, in, in Solomon Island Pigeon. I promise you, we'll just not speak English to you if you come and visit. And on a serious note, we intend to do an offer that if you'll commit three months, and I mean this, so keep, you know, keep an, uh, an idea for this, uh, we intend that if you'll commit to visit us for three months, you'll not do any more or less than what uh, my wife or, or myself would do. Uh, we want it, we'll pay for half the airfare. Uh, you just have to give us that three months. And uh, so if you're a teenager or someone, uh, we're going to try to, when we get there, to be able to prepare. You'll have some privacy in your own room and whatnot, but uh, come on out. My wife and I both were greatly influenced for the gospel's sake uh, by other missionaries who opened up their home on the foreign field to, to us, and uh, we want to do the same. So uh, if, you, if you can commit three months, we'll, we'll take care of half your airfare. We'll just divide it by two in the calculator, Venmo you the rest, and then we'll, we'll get the ticket spot, and we'll feed you and, and, and house you. So put it in the back of your mind, all right? Anyhow, uh, I just want to share quickly these two testimonies, or I might just have time for one given the message. We'll just, we'll just share the one. This is Salwin. Salwin's alive. He's, uh, actually, he moved back to Malaita. Salwin's from Malaita. I met him on Guadalcanal, and now he's had some health issues. He's back uh, on Malaita. Uh, Salwin, he's, he's a born-again man. He's on his way to heaven. He's, uh, he loves the Lord and is ser- was serving uh, in a church on Guadalcanal before some health issues came up and had to go back to Malaita. Uh, you might be able to see, so Salwin, rather, he grew up in a Christian home, quote-unquote, uh, in the 18, or excuse me, the 1600s, I think it was, uh, when the Spanish, uh, you know, discovered, that might not be the most appropriate word, but discovered the Solomon Islands. You know, everyone overnight was converted to uh, uh, Christianity, so to speak, and so Salwin grew up in a, uh, a quote-unquote Christian home, but you might notice uh, on Salwin's face, it might be hard to see, for me it's hard to see because I'm blind right now, but uh, it might be hard to see a little bit, but on Salwin's face he has all these markings. Uh, he has these markings on his cheek, on both of his cheeks, on his forehead, uh, below his lip, he has markings on other portions of his body, and they all represent uh, a deity that is, or that is, or those are symbols rather, for a deity that uh, is represented of the sun. And so Samhain, being raised in a, in a Christian home, uh, got these tattoos when he was freshly born, just a couple days after he was born. Uh, it was a common practice in Malaita. Uh, they recently have claimed they've stopped. That's kind of debatable. But anyhow, uh, in a Christian environment, so to, so to speak, uh, Samhain was dedicated to this deity that represented, or that is... Uh, represented by the sun. And so the, the idea of this baby dedication that took place a couple days after Salwin was born was very much so that Salwin was to, be, was to live and honor this deity, and, and uh, uh, this deity had responsibility to watch over Salwin. And so Salwin, being raised familiar with religious terminology, uh, having, uh, or rather being yet in a very pagan system, uh, was raised believing himself to be a Christian, yet also practicing a form of 
overt paganism, uh, worshiping creation instead of the creator. And Salwin... Uh, his testimony is actually just the same as, as your testimony and my testimony. Uh, Salwin was uh, on Guadalcanal and, and heard the gospel preached by a missionary, someone that came over from their country, and Salwin heard the gospel and realized he needed Christ. And Salwin put faith in Christ, and, and Salwin got born again, <laughs> and Salwin got saved. And uh, Salwin is, is, like I said, he's on his way to, on his way to heaven, just like uh, you if your faith is in Christ. And, and Salwin's testimony is the same as yours, but the way that takes place is someone actually has to go. And, and we can be burdened for missions, uh, and we should be burdened for missions, uh, but that burden should not be in vain where we say, God burdens someone else to go. But we say, Lord, what part could I have? In all seriousness, God, what part could I have? Because all my plans will be set to the side for your plans. And so Salwin, uh, we praise the Lord uh, that he's born again. And, and, but that took place uh, because someone came and brought the gospel to Salwin. And Salwin's been able to be a light to his family members as well. And so, uh, unfortunately, in the Solomon Islands, and what the devil does around the world, is he allows people to get close to the truth, being familiar with religious terminology, uh, maybe being familiar with the name of Jesus, the word salvation, maybe being familiar with the word faith, but not understanding salvation and the personal impact that it must have. Joseph's testimony, which is the gentleman to the left of me, uh, just briefly, he said uh, uh, in in Pigeon, he said, I understood the stories. I've heard about David and Goliath. I've heard about uh, Jesus feeding the 5,000 with the young lad's lunch. But Joseph said, I never understood how to make it personal. You know, until, until a gospel preacher came and showed Joseph how to make it personal. And Joseph trusted Christ and is now serving in, a, in that church on uh, uh, Guadalcanal. Anyhow, consider partnering with us. Uh, we're at 93% and intend to depart for the field uh, this October, end of October, uh, early November. Uh, really, the, the, the constraint, rather, is just trying to get the passport for uh, little baby George. So uh, you, know, you need passports to leave the country with a baby. So anyway, uh, fun fact there. So pray for us that we'll be able to uh, get all that figured out. If you would turn your Bibles to Luke chapter 15. Luke chapter 15. Let me see if I remember what pastor told me to do to switch. And we're, I think so. All right. There we go. Luke chapter 15. I have an eye on the time, but uh, so we'll look at Luke chapter 15 in, our, in the moments that we have left. You're likely familiar with Luke chapter 15, and probably uh, your familiarity to it, and I don't mean this in any, any negative way, is often focused uh, around the prodigal son. And this, uh, this evening, as we look at Luke chapter 15, there's a, a very obvious problem that arises in the first two verses uh, that we'll mention. And then Jesus uh, answers uh, the problem in a very... Well, in a very Jesus-like way, he tells these really uh, uh, wonderful stories that just have such, such depth to them. So uh, let's, you know, before we actually read, let me pray and ask God's help as we get into his word tonight. And, uh, and I hope it'll be a blessing and an encouragement and a challenge. And, and certainly the word of God does that. So let's pray. God, we love you. And we thank you, Father, for uh, our collective uh, burden that you've put on our heart uh, to evangelize the world. But I pray, Father, uh, that you would, uh, you would grow that burden and, Father, that we would be even consumed with your burden to see the world saved and see uh, the world be brought to the knowledge of your Son and see the world be brought to uh, the love that you have shown the world. So we pray for uh, your guidance and your direction as we look at this passage. And, Father, above all, we, uh, we pray that you'd be pleased with how we look at your word. And, Father, may we tremble at your word. And, and Father, uh, may we respond in humility to the word of God tonight. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, Luke chapter 15. If I could draw your attention uh, to the first two verses of Luke chapter 15, which kind of set the the context or uh, uh, give us an idea of what's going on. So Luke chapter 15, look at verse 1 and 2, if you would. Then drew near unto him, and the him there is, is Jesus. Then drew near unto him all the publicans and sinners for to hear him. Verse 2, and the Pharisees and scribes murmured. It's a good Bible word there. They murmured, saying, This man receiveth sinners and eateth with them. 
And so we have a couple crowds that are displayed already in the first couple verses. Uh, we have Jesus. And that's going to be important. He's obviously uh, the key figure, but Jesus. And then we have the, the publicans and sinners, and they're drawing near unto Jesus for to hear him. And then we have the scribes and the Pharisees, and they're not drawing near unto Jesus for to hear him. In fact, they're kind of doing the opposite. They're standing outside and, and murmuring or speaking evil of Jesus. And the, the accusation that they intend to be uh, evil words towards Christ uh, are, in fact, really wonderful words. And their accusation or their rude saying to Jesus is that this man receiveth sinners and eateth with them. And their accusation actually has quite a bit of significance to it. And what it reveals in verses 1 and 2 is that the scribes and Pharisees, who are the religious crowd of the day, they, on a very profound level, did not understand who God was. On a very, very important level, they did not understand who God was. And what I mean by that is, this statement by the scribes and the Pharisees murmuring against Jesus, why do you eat and drink with publicans and sinners? This was a common thing that they spoke ill of Jesus regarding. Let me draw your attention Let's see if I can find it in my blindness. Uh, Luke 5, I believe it is. Yes, Luke 5, verse 30. All right, so I'm just gonna, I'll reference it. You can turn there if you'd like, but we're going to be right back in Luke 15, so I don't want to lose you too much. But Luke 5, verse 30, so same book. We're in Luke 15, and I told you to turn to Luke 5, verse 30. So same book, verse 30 says, But their scribes and Pharisees, there's the word again, murmured against his disciples, Let's see, what did they murmur against his disciples? Saying, saying, why do ye eat and drink with publicans and sinners? Same exact, you know, question, if you will. Uh, and then look how Jesus responds in verse 30, uh, 31. <laughs> 31 uh, responds very doctrinally, very to the point. Verse 31, he says, And Jesus answering said unto them, They that are whole need not a physician, but they that are sick. I came not to call the righteous, uh, excuse me, I came not to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. So, ten chapters before, I'm going to have you turn back to Luke 15, ten chapters prior, same crowd, scribes and Pharisees, same accusation, Jesus responds very doctrinally. He, he says very uh, concisely that I came not to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Evidently, the, the scribes and Pharisees did not get it. That Jesus' purpose was to redeem the world. Jesus' or purpose was to rescue sinners. Jesus' purpose was to, to take the lost and make them found. And so now we're back in Luke 15, and the same scenario almost. Uh, the, the, uh, excuse me, the publicans and sinners are drawing nigh to Jesus, and the scribes and Pharisees murmuring against Jesus, and they murmur the same words, and now instead of replying in a, uh, in a very doctrinal way, Christ replies with telling three stories. And all three of these stories, I believe, communicate one central truth. We don't have time for looking at all three of them, but we're going to look at the last one. And, and often, when we look at these three stories, we often, uh, and myself included, hyper-fixate, we over-focus, on the character in the story that represents us. So these three stories in Luke 15 is, a, is about a, a shepherd who has a lost sheep. Sometimes we call it the parable of the lost sheep. Uh, a woman who, who has a, a lost coin. And we often call it, my Bible even says, the parable of the lost coin. And then the third story, my Bible calls it the parable of the, uh, the prodigal son or the lost son. And we often, in my opinion, over-focus on the sheep and the coin and the son. Whereas I, I believe very... Uh, well, passionately, maybe, is the most appropriate word, that this chapter is so Jesus can explain to the scribes and Pharisees and all those that hear is this central truth, that God the Father is good and loving and that sinners should draw nigh to him. That the best thing, the best possible thing for a sinner to do is to draw nigh unto God and the confusion, I believe, in the hearts of the scribes and Pharisees was this. Jesus, you claim to be uh, the Son of Man. You claim to be uh, the second person of the Trinity. You claim to be Messiah. But God would not have sinners and publicans drawn nigh unto him the way that you have 
publicans and sinners draw nigh unto you. I believe that was their confusion. There's no way that you could be God and have such fellowship that you would eat and drink with such wicked and filthy and dirty people. If you were really God, you would be coming to us, the scribes and the Pharisees. You see the confusion. And here Jesus, instead of just answering so doctrinally as he does in Luke 5, he tells us these three stories uh, that, give, that have such great depth and richness uh, in wealth of God's love and mercy towards you and I, the sinners that must, that need to draw nigh unto him. So uh, for out, for, without wasting any more of your time, let us continue and get right into the passage, shall we? Verse uh, 11, I believe. So we're going to just skip over the first two, uh, which is about this about the shepherd and, and even the woman and this coin. And we're going to go right to this story about this father and, and his two sons, uh, often referred to as the, the parable of the lost son. And most of the time, and myself included, we, we pick out the son. And I, I have a message, I think in college, I probably took it from someone far smarter than me, uh, but I have a message called the, uh, about the son, the running, the reaping, the repenting, and the, the returning. So, you know, I'm, I'm Baptist, of course, with all the R's in there. Uh, but anyhow, and the focus, though, is that was a joke, but no one laughed. That's okay. That's all right. I, no. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> uh, but we often focus on the son, and I want to just look at the actions of the father in, in the moments we have tonight. So look at verse 11, if you would. And he said, a certain man had two sons. And the younger of them said to the father, Father, give me the portions of the goods that falleth to me. And notice what the father does. The father, in verse 12, says, And he divided unto them his living. If you're taking notes, the first thing we're going to see tonight is that the father gave his son. Is this on? Am I good to walk away? Okay, cool. I think you give a thumbs up. I'm not really sure, though. Uh, the father, he gave his son a legitimate choice. This is a very important part, a very significant part, because the father in this story in Luke chapter 15 is a, a representative or an archetype for God the Father. Uh, the father in this story is not just some random Jewish father that Jesus is uh, inserting in, or rather that Jesus is inserting into a story to just make a point. No, uh, the, care, the shepherd is a representation of God the Father. Uh, the woman with the lost coin searching and searching diligently for it is a representation of God's pursuit uh, for humanity. And even the father here in the story is a representation of God the Father. And so what does God the Father do in Luke chapter 15 when he has one of, this, one of his children, uh, really he has two wayward children, but when this, this uh, first son comes to him and says, Father, give me the portions of the goods that fall to me. And it's understood in the passage, and really especially in the underlying language, that it's, it's, it's not a, hey, Father, I think I'd like to, you know, it's about that time for me to part my way. That's not what's going on. He's saying, Father, I want what I can get now. I want to go, and I I want to be independent. I want to be independent from your leadership, from your direction. I want to do what I want to do. And so he says, Father, give me the portions of the goods that fall to me. And what does the father do? The father, sorry to word this kind of weird, but the father, he respects his son's autonomy. Okay, he, he gives his son a legitimate choice, meaning that the father doesn't say, hey, kid, get back in your room. You don't have the ability to make that decision. That's not what he says. Like, that's not in our Bible. But actually what we see, if I can get the right page, what we see, there we go, is that he divided unto them his living. That the father, even though the son's decision was incredibly self-destructive, and we know, because we're familiar with this passage, that the son's decision led down a dark path, a, 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 a spiral, uh, really a spiral of sin that just took him further and further and further away from his father and further into depravity. The son, on countless occasions, uh, proved his, uh, his irresponsibility, his, his, uh, the evil of his heart, his, his, uh, uh, his lack of discernment and, and uh, wisdom. On, on time, in, in time and time again, but we see as far as the father goes, the father gave him the ability to choose. And why that's so significant is this, why that is so significant rather is this, that God the father gives you and I an ability to choose to love, serve, and follow him or not. Forgive the harsh illustration, but God is not putting a gun to your head and saying, you better love me and serve me or else. That's not what he does. No, he gives you freedom. And, and, that freedom comes with consequences, but he gives you freedom to follow him and love him and serve him or not. And frankly, while we're on that point, true love necessitates a free will choice. It, 
it necessitates a free will choice, right? Like we know that in our interpersonal relationships, right? Like hopefully, I mean, like I know in your, in a marriage, you're bound by a commitment, yes. Uh, but you don't tell your spouse like, you know, hey, babe, you, you better love me today. That's weird, right? That's weird, right? No, no, I mean, obviously you have a commitment, and, uh, uh, but you, you both choose to, to do that. It's not like a, a forced thing, or if it, if it is, it's, that's, that's, it's dysfunctional and not appropriate. Uh, and so this, this decision that uh, the father evidently respected his son's ability to choose to, to walk away led to much uh, demise, certainly, of the son. We can pick this up in verse 12, if you would. Or excuse me, verse 13. Twos and threes look uh, pretty, uh, pretty similar there. Uh, verse 13, uh, and not many days after, the younger son gathered all together and took his journey into a far country and there wasted his substance with riotous living, uh, financially unwise, uh, not thinking about the future. There's a lot of negative things to be said about the son, uh, but he's exercising his freedom and the self-destructive path that follows. Verse 14, and when he had spent all, there arose a mighty famine in that land and he began to be in want. And he went and joined himself to a citizen of that country, and he sent him into his fields to feed swine. And he would fain have filled his belly. It's like a, he would so have strongly desired uh, to fill his belly with the husks that the swine did eat, and no man gave unto him. And we conclude at verse seven, or before verse 17. Uh, but what do we see? We see the father respecting his son's ability to choose. And really, this is, as a, a broader point, uh, we see even in just kind of a, a, a a proof text, if you will, for this thought. We see this in the first chapters in, in our Bible. You ever think when God made this big, beautiful world, this big, beautiful earth, uh, the, and then he put on the big, beautiful earth, a big, beautiful garden, and he put these two people in there, Adam and Eve, and in that big, beautiful garden, he put a tree. You ever read the Genesis account and think to yourself, like with no disrespect in, intended whatsoever or irreverence, but why did you put the tree in the garden to God? to give a legitimacy to the choice to serve and obey God. It, 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 was, it was necessary. Like imagine God said, okay, hey, I want you to love me and serve me, and the only thing not to do is eat of the fruit of this tree, and then God like removes the tree. You're like, well, that's easy. Yeah, but it's, it's not true. The, 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 the choice to love, it's not real. It's not legitimate. And so that's that, that, That's necessary. It'd be similar to putting someone in a round room and saying, hey, rule number one, only rule, don't sit in the corner. It just doesn't work out, right? All right, so the father, he gave his son a legitimate choice as our heavenly father gives us a legitimate choice. And notice, secondly, if you would, uh, the father was a good master. This is really uh, a a wonderful uh, reality of of the text here. If you would look at verse 17, I believe. Verse 17, ah, yes, 17. It says, and when he came to himself, so that was his epiphany, his like aha moment, his sudden realization of, of truth. And when he came to himself, he said, and notice this, this is, this is wonderful. How many hired servants of my father's have bread enough and to spare? And I, and this, that phrase, the and I, is intended to be read as like a comparison. My father has hired servants. They have bread enough and to spare. And I, who is the I? My father's son. My father's servants have bread enough and to spare. They're hired servants. And, and, and I, my father's son, I perish with hunger. You know what he realized in this dark moment, frankly? He realized that actually his father was a good master, even though when he was back home, Evidently, he, he thought his father was the tyrant and he viewed himself the liberator. But when he went down the path that he felt so strongly was right, he realized himself to be the tyrant and his father actually the benevolent leader. And what a mistake. And, and just be so careful. That just even, though it's talking about a son and we often put this in the context of like, I don't know, some guy in his 20s or 30s, the prodigal or something like that. This is a potential for any of us who begin thinking ourselves to be the liberators of our life and God to be the tyrant and God to be the, the, the evil man upon a cloud willing just making rules and, and whatnot and ourselves to be the ones that say, well, we have the discernment and we have the liberty and we can. That's very dangerous thinking. Very dangerous. And, the, and God gives us a, a, a very 
thorough example in the Word of God of the, of, of the direction that will take our lives. And what is that direction? Absolute self-destruction. You want to meet the most self-destructive person in your life? Look in a mirror and do what the person in the mirror says, and you'll find yourself in a world of hurt. Really, none of us are just a few choices, or rather, none of us are but just a few choices away from bringing our life to absolute ruin. And it's by the grace of God and the necessity of us to yield to God for that not to happen. And you need to be very aware of that. Notice, in this passage, uh, and I don't intend to smile, it's not a positive thing, but in this passage, the group of people that viewed themselves not needing Christ's message were the scribes and the Pharisees. They thought they were good enough. They thought they were, they, were, they were just fine. They were the religious ones. But yet, they were missing the whole point. And they certainly, in the end, they missed uh, drawing nigh unto Christ because of their, their pride. And that pride uh, lended itself to self-blindness. Oh, that's fitting, I'm, you know, anyway. <laughs> Let's move forward in the text, if you would. Uh, verse 18, if you will. Verse 18, the scripture says, I will arise and go to my father. Now, you and I could easily read right over verse 18 and and maybe find not so much significance in it, uh, but there is so much significance in verse 18. Uh, This is wonderful. So not only did the father give his son a legitimate choice as our heavenly father gives us a legitimate choice, and not only was the father a good master as our heavenly father is a good master, But also, in verse 18, we see this son. Just remind yourself of the context. The son has has disrespected his family, his family's name. He took his father's wealth and wasted it. And and if his older older, um, brother is right later on, he didn't wait, or rather he wasted it in a very immoral way, uh, at least part of it. And so he was, uh, by all accounts, a derelict of derelicts. And that's intended. Uh, That's the intended uh, perception that Jesus has by telling the story, and even the part of him feeding pigs. Like, that's not a turn in the story. Like, hey, he got a job. That's meant to show depravity of him not only burning bridges at home and burning bridges with friends and having no one to turn to, but on top of that, uh, uh, being willing to become unclean even before his God. It is just uh, the derelict of the derelicts in the story. And after he turns and has this epiphany of, of, of his father being a good master, what he says in verse 18 is of great significance because what he says is this. I will arise and go to my father. And that speaks far better of the father than even the son's resolve uh, to get right. Because what that speaks of the father is that the father was approachable. That's huge, okay? Because get this, even though the father was a master over many, we know that, right? He had many hired servants. Even though the father was a master over many, evidently the father had communicated to his son that even after times of of your greatest failures. Like even after times when you have messed up bigger than you could possibly have imagined, when you've done what you thought I would never do, even after times when you've become the image of, of, of the one that is unredeemable in your mind, even then, there's always a place for you to come back home to. That's huge. It is by every intention when Jesus tells this story that for jaws to drop, when he describes the depravity of this younger son. He disrespected his father. He wasted his substance. He, he fed sw- uh, pigs. And on top of that, he ate what the pigs ate. It just, this, this spiral of depravity goes further and further. And then what does he say about his father? You know, my father would take me back. That's what he says about his father. His father was approachable. And, you know, uh, for sake of time, we, we couldn't go into all of it, but uh, God has made himself approachable by the work of Jesus Christ for you and I. Okay, God sent his son to be the mediator between heaven and earth. Okay, even the, the image, the picture of the cross where Christ is literally suspended between heaven and earth, lifted up as a mediator, being a sacrifice on our behalf so that we could, could have peace with God. Like, it, it is all there. God has made himself approachable for you and I. He has done all the work, all the labor, so much so that the reason salvation can't be by works is because Christ's works are sufficient. They're enough. Uh, the, The Bible word for it is they're a propitiation. God looks upon the sacrifice of Christ and he says, that's enough. Like, it, it, it's, it's complete. It's sufficient to pay the, the sin debt of humanity. And what a beautiful thing that is. 
time would fail for us to go further. But let me look at the last point with you as we wrap up, as I attempt to, to squint and read these last verses. Verse 18, if you would. He says, I will arise and go to my father and will say unto him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and before thee, and I'm no more worthy to be called thy son. Make me as one of thy hired servants. Verse 20 says, and he arose. And a good point to make, he didn't just say, I'm going to go to my father. He actually did it. So it's not a point in the message there, but uh, that'd be a good thing for us to, to, to note in our hearts of how many times have we said, you know, I ought to do this. I ought to get right with God in my heart. I ought to get that thing out of my life. I ought to, to, to make this change. I ought to surrender to this. I, how many times have we done that? Myself included. But what a good example in this prodigal son's life where he said, you know, I will arise and go to my father. And then verse 20, and he arose. All right, let's continue. Verse 20, and he arose and came to his father. But when his father was yet a great way off, his father saw him and had compassion and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. And then we have verse 21, uh, the rehearsed speech of the son. And I'm of the opinion before we read it, that once the son expresses repentance, that the father moves in and begins restoration. I'm of that opinion. You don't have to be of the same opinion. That's okay. Uh, but we, it, it, it would seem as though the father cuts his son off once repentance takes place. Verse 21, And his son said unto him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in thy sight, and am no more worthy to be called thy son. Verse 22, But the father said to his servants, Bring forth the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet and bring hither the fatted calf and kill it and let us eat and be merry. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found and they began to be merry. And we'll conclude with the reading as we spend a couple moments in this last point. What did the father do at his son's return? Well, his father rejoiced at his son's return because what we see in Jesus' telling of this story before a crowd of publicans and sinners and before a crowd of, of scribes and Pharisees, we have uh, the, the publicly viewed overt uh, sinners, if you will, and then the, uh, the publicly viewed religious crowd that are secretly just as sinful in a different way than the overt sinners. And what Jesus does in his presentation to, these, to, to the, the crowd before him is he presents a father who is good and loving. And he presents a father that receives the sinner and, and cleans and rescues and saves the sinner and changes the sinner. But what he, even on a bigger level, he sees or he presents uh, a, a place in, in the presence of the father that is the best place for the sinner to run to. And, and the most self-destructive and worst and, and detrimental place for the sinner is to be away from the Father. Whether that be by misconception about the Father, uh, uh, pagan uh, views of God have painted uh, deity to be like a Zeus-like figure who sits upon a, upon a throne on a cloud uh, with what in his hand? A lightning bolt, ready to strike down anyone that steps uh, out of line. But that is not New Testament Christianity. That is not the gospel. That is not the Bible whatsoever. In the Bible, we see a God who so loved the world that purchased on the behalf of the world salvation because without his intervention, they would be entirely hopeless. We see a, a, a figure who is nothing but good and nothing but loving. And, and his choice to love the world necessitated action and sacrifice for the world. And what a beautiful thing we see that uh, in, in this passage. And so you, we, could, uh, we could go back and debate, was, is the prodigal representing a Christian? Is the prodigal representing a non-believer? I think some of that, especially for tonight, might be folly. Because what we're intended to have our eyes and our gaze directed towards is the Father. And the Father, in Luke 15, is an example of one who is good and loving and one that you and I would do very well to draw nigh to. And whether if you're a believer tonight, and your faith is in Christ, and you're certain of that, praise God, but you, you need to draw nigh to this good and loving Father. The most self-destructive place would be away from Him, and the best place would be nigh with Him. And if you're not a believer tonight, and uh, your faith uh, has not yet been put in Christ, th the same truth 
applies to you. That this Father that lovingly woos and draws you, and even in your heart now, uh, draws you into himself, he is good and he is loving. And he will rescue and save and clean and change your life for the better. But we come back to what I mentioned initially, that love necessitates a free will choice. And God will not force his love upon anyone. But he offers a choice. And so can I encourage you to draw nigh unto our good and loving Father tonight, as well as making your life all about personally drawing nigh to God, but also helping other people draw nigh to this good and loving Father. Uh, As we go to the Solomons, our desire is really nothing more complex than pointing people to this good and loving Father that made a way for people to, to be born again and rescued and saved from their, from, from their fate of hell and from their fate of, of self-destruction in their own vain pursuits. Our life's purpose is not only to be growing closer to this good and loving Father, but helping others grow close as well. My time is spent. Thank you for your wonderful attention. I'm going to pray in conclusion. And Pastor, would you close how you see fit following my prayer? Let's pray. Father, we love you. And we are grateful, Father, for your kindness and your love to us in making salvation possible, but also when we go astray, lovingly, lovingly drawing us close to yourself. May we, in this room tonight, in this congregation, Father, would you give us grace to examine our hearts and see where we may be made initial steps to walk away from you. And Father, if there be one or two or several in here that have not initially turn to you for salvation uh, would tonight be that night of salvation uh, where they where they turn to you and 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 rely upon you to rescue them we love you and we pray these things in christ's name amen